Now, in section 84, there is a combination of statements which, when you combine them with another profound revelation, section 93, that are worth our thinking about for a few moments. Whatsoever is truth, says the Lord, is light. And whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. Section 93 says, I, Christ speaking, was in the beginning with the Father and am the firstborn. And all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory. Glory is what? The light and power and radiance of God. Uh, partakers of the glory of the same. And then John bore record of me, says, I am the spirit of truth. And John bore record of me, saying, he received a fullness of the truth, yea, even of all truth. And no man receiveth a fullness unless he keepeth my commandments. He that keepeth my commandments receiveth truth and light until he is glorified in truth and knoweth all things. Now, the same revelation says, ye, that's all of us, were also in the beginning with the Father, that which is spirit, even the spirit of truth. Now, these words can become confusing. Truth, spirit, light. How is it that it can be said both of Christ and of us that in the beginning we were the spirit of truth. The revelation goes on and says that all truth is independent and all intelligence is also. And it says that intelligence or the light of truth was not created or made. It goes on to say here in this principle is the agency of man and here is the condemnation of man because that which was from the beginning is plainly manifest unto them and they receive not the light and every man whose spirit receiveth not the light is under condemnation for man is spirit now, the late B.H. Roberts took all that to mean that, as he put it, your spirits, all of them, are native to truth, which is to say akin to truth. Your very nature as the spirit of truth and as a spirit is to respond to the truth, the light. And if you reject it, it can only be by suppressing your ultimate divine nature and for that you are under terrible condemnation he who sins against the greater light Jesus taught will be under greater condemnation the other side of the coin is also true one who has little light is not as responsible for his life as one who has a great deal Hence, in the final day, when we're told there will be a separation, a complete separation of the wise 
and the foolish. Doctrine and covenants here. A complete separation, it says, of the wise. And it also says, up until that hour, there will still be foolish among the wise, as there will be wise among the foolish. But even on that day, some who have not yet received sufficient light will find it tolerable when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Hence the statement that even during the millennium there will be men and women alive who are not yet capable of the first resurrection and the glorious promises that are there for all. So they are in a temporary, if I may say so, twilight zone. But as for us, who have not only been given the light before we ever entered mortality, but then born into a condition where we were brought up according to the commandment in light and truth, we are the more responsible. And if we honor it, the more privileged. Two other implications. Jesus says on one occasion to his followers, if the light in you be darkness, Oh, how great is that darkness. Another implication. We, if we blew out these uh, two tiny lights, would be in comparative darkness. If we closed those doors, total darkness. So even if we have good eyes, our eyes are helpless without light. And that applies also to our spirits. The need for constant illumination is one the Lord continually teaches. Constant need. And our spiritual quickening is dependent upon a lot of effort and a lot of concentration and a lot of patience. Let me take a few moments to describe from one who learned those lessons and learned them from the Lord himself. Joseph Smith speaking. When I have a difficult problem and I wrestle with it over time, I'm paraphrasing, and then I pray about it, if I pray earnestly and in faith, the answer comes. It is a flow of ideas, and he says a logical flow, accompanied by such a burning in my bosom that I know it is of God and I dictate it to my clerk. Light and heat go together. Light and fire, as we're demonstrating, go together. Our God, said Paul, is a consuming fire. I have a wag friend who said, you Mormons are crazy. You have taken the classical doctrine of hell and turned it into heaven. One needle-thin opening in the veil leading to the celestial light and fire would let loose so much light, says an ancient tradition, that we could hardly stand it. But divine fire does not consume. It hallows and purifies and glorifies. But we could not now 
endure his presence. And he has told us that again and again. And after one of the most remarkable visitations or visions given in this dispensation, the prophet summarizes that many things were made known unto them, not only that they didn't ride and were commanded not to, but that they could not, because it is not within man's power to make them known. For, said he, they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows upon all those who love him and purify themselves before him. To whom, and the implication is, and only to whom, he grants this privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves that through the power and manifestation of the Spirit while in the flesh they may be able to bear his presence in the world of glory. Now in the same way that the prophet could describe an answer coming to a specific prayer he describes the experience of reading the scriptures. Once one has begun to receive the light, the gift of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. So he says, speaking for Oliver Cowdery also, after their baptism and confirmation, and I remind you that this is a man who had had earlier deep religious experiences, open visions. And yet listen to what he says about the light. Our minds being now enlightened we began to have the scriptures opened to our understandings. And the meaning and intent of their more mysterious passages revealed to us in a manner that we could not previously attain to, nor ever before had thought of. And that's then one of the tests of whether we have received and are continuing to the light, that the scriptures begin to reveal. They speak to us. They make sense. They come up off the page and go into our minds and into our hearts. Behold, says a modern revelation, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by my spirit which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Great combination is being taught here, which I believe the Lord Jesus Christ not only taught, but manifest <coughs> brilliantly. And notice that word, brilliantly. We use it to describe intellectual facility and clarity but also to describe light. It was a brilliant light. He even wants to say that it was brighter than the noonday sun, speaking of the first vision, but we learn that since it is impossible to look at the noonday sun, which is glaring and unpleasant and not wince, this kind of light, yes, more powerful than the noonday sun, yet calming and mild instead of destructive. Brilliantly, the Lord Jesus Christ taught that it is not enough to understand from, as it were, the neck up, intellectual comprehension is essential and magnificent and to be greatly esteemed. But 
Notice, not just your mind, your heart. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. Joseph's statement came to my mind with a logical flow accompanied by a burning in my bosom. The touchstone, I submit, of truth. A third statement from the prophet. A man may profit, he says, by noticing the first intimation of the spirit of revelation. When you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, it may give you sudden strokes of ideas which are fulfilled in the very hour or soon. That is, those things which are presented unto your mind by the Spirit of God will come to pass. And thus, by learning the Spirit of God and understanding it, you may grow in the principle of revelation until you are perfect in Christ Jesus. A second-hand statement was made to one of the early brethren from the prophet in which he said approximately this, if you will follow the first promptings, you will hit it right nine out of ten times. Now what's he talking about? I think he's saying that as you first confront an assignment or a problem or a calling, you have some sort of thoughts as to its resolution or direction. And it's the first promptings that he's suggesting are the most trustworthy. When you begin to second guess and third guess and analyze, then perhaps you are going away rather than toward the light. It's my experience, if I may say so, that women seem to me to be less inclined to second guess than men. And I believe that's another way that women are born naturally, and I would add supernaturally, superior to men. I believe they instantly recognize the light. And then don't fight it the way men often do. Let me uh, draw this together with and bear a personal witness. As light is associated with truth and associated with life, it is also associated with love. In the writings of Paul, and specifically in his letter to the Galatians, he talks first about the works of the flesh that lead to death. But then he talks about the works of the Spirit that lead to life. And he uses the word fruits. And he says the fruits of the Spirit are, and he lists several, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then he adds joy and peace. I believe that it is impossible to be filled with light and not at the same time feel love. I believe that feeling full is feelfulment and that it is full feelment. <laughs> that the entire 
apperceptive mass, to use a psychological phrase of man, the entire being feels as it also manifests the light that is also love. The last supper room where, though we know it's maybe not the identical place, but in such a room on Mount Zion, the Master gave his last instructions after introducing an, an ordinance we call the sacrament, but really in their case fulfilling the Passover. And after assuring them, as he has us again and again, that the purpose of that was that, quote, we might always have his spirit to be with us. He then said something that on the one hand was terrible pain, and on the other was heartening promise. He said, I will not partake with you again until I partake with you anew in my kingdom. So they now knew he was for sure going to leave them. And the only softening of that goodbye was there will be a day when we will be together again. And the Joseph Smith translation adds one verse. It isn't in the King James. And then they wept and grieved over him as he was soon to weep over them. Love. And in that setting, he gave what we call today the comfort discourses and promised them light, promised them that the spirit of truth would come to them, promised them the outpouring which was later fulfilled magnificently on the day of Pentecost, and promised them even, I will not have you comfortless. I will come to you. Brothers and sisters, I bear my personal testimony to you that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is the light of our world. He is the light which to receive is transforming and which without we are helpless. It was that same night in that same set of sayings that Jesus compared himself to a vine, said to them, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And that's a deeper meaning to the word one than we often attend to. We often say that when we say that the Father and the Son are one, or when we say that we are to be one with them, we mean one in purpose and in mind. True. But that's only part of the truth. The oneness is to be literally planted in and derived from them. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, he said, ye can do nothing. I bear testimony that without his light, we can do nothing for him or for his children. 
we can only compound darkness. And so he says, as if he's almost himself troubled at how slow we are to understand. Why is it you can't understand? But then he says, pray always. And one can do that in heart, even when he can't in word. Pray always, and I will pour out my spirit upon you. And great shall be your blessings. Yea, even more than if you should obtain treasures of the earth and corruptibleness to the extent thereof. Behold, canst thou read this without rejoicing? Or can thou run about longer as a blind guide? Or canst thou be humble and meek and conduct thyself wisely? Wise virgins before me. Yea, he closes, come unto me, thy Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.